That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right, all right. All I right. think we, we got it. This conference will now be recorded. I often wonder if that person's voice, that woman's voice, is the same voice she uses in her real life. You ever wonder if, like the, if the customer service uh, voiceover pe- folks, you know, if they, you know, the 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 Zoom recording voice and the and the go to meeting recording voice and like you're waiting on the line voice ever like hang out in a club and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> like. <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going with that. I like it. That'd be so oh, great. Yeah. They well, run into the they run into the movie phone guy. Yeah. Well, hello. Hey. Hello and welcome to the bar. Um, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, my old sketch partner Sawyer and I did kind of a spin on that where I'm I'm, I'm sure it's been done before but it's where I was calling an, the Amtrak automated assistant mm-hmm. which is uh their just their telephone prompts. And the whole bit was that we the, the voice started to develop feelings and so it was like you know technology starting to be like yeah like, like, like airplane don't tell me about this, this yes this exactly yellow lying baloney yeah i don't but I mean, everybody swears on my podcast but i try not to so we've already okay. started this podcast and we haven't even done our fancy intro i've listened to a number of podcasts and in the past year or two, I feel like, you know, my, my mom has a podcast. <laughs> doesn't really, but like, I feel like everybody right. has a podcast and right. the technology for, or the, the ways to make it sound professional with like music and like a intro voice and all this stuff um, has just exponentially gotten improved. And I, my, my uh, podcast is decidedly lo-fi. Um, because well, maybe I, you could record a new Intro yeah, or something. No, I, I mean, I want it to be like that. I, I'm, I'm kind of be contrarian, I guess. Uh, no, I was saying is that so when I first started this, I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to see where it goes. And this was almost two years ago to the day, uh, February of 2019. And, you know, I had the title, which was uh, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm saying. And I, I always get it wrong because I think it's, that's what I'm talking about. But that's what I'm saying. And so you and I riffed a little bit when we were in the studio and mm-hmm. that became our intro. So your voice is on the intro of the past, you know, 11 or 12 podcasts over the past two years. So you're, uh, you know, I might, I might, I might owe you some royalties. So, uh, All right. whatever coming when I, when I make my first cent, you'll get one tenth of it. So I, I, I should uh, capitalize on this and become like the podcast intro theme song guy or something. Right. Exactly. You, you, you could <laughs> hang out with the other voices. You know the go to meet person and the uh, Amtrak person. Yeah, so, we talk yeah. to talk to the uh, Arby's. We have the meats guy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they definitely have like a support group or like a Facebook a Facebook group or like a one of the funniest things I saw from uh, the community TV show reunion. Yes. You know, pandemics yes. was watching uh, Childish Gambino. Um, Childish yep. Gambino learned that every other buddy on the cast was part of a text chain that he wasn't part of. <laughs> That's right, right, right. Donald Glover, if you uh, don't know. Uh, but it's funny. So what's interesting is I I met Donald Glover uh, for like three seconds because I was at the premiere of um, Mystery Team 2000 or whatever it was, uh, like right, in right. 2008 or nine or something like that. And they were, you know, Aubrey Plaza was in it and all these people who are now famous were in it. Right. Um, and it was just funny because, uh, yeah, just this idea of, and I guess I'm kind of sprawling here, but the the thing that I bring that up to say is that it's always interesting to see where people go 
like where we start, where we and you start, and what our journey is. And you wouldn't have expected mm -hmm. that at you know this midnight screening, that this like raunchy comedy, it would he would turn into you know one of our you know generational talent for comedy, and who is like a legitimate a legitimate hip hop artist. And then right. he does Atlanta. So not to compare us to the talent of our generation, but I guess what I want to try to say is that for this particular podcast, yeah. what I want to do is I want to kind of take a look at kind of what your journey has been in the past two years since we last talked. But just to say that, uh, you know, today's guest is my good friend, Dennis Hurley, who was the very first guest that I had in February of 2019, as I mentioned. He's a comedian, a actor, one heck of a model American. He, he produced a, one of my favorite music videos that I directed for um, in the past. So we've done a lot of work together. We've been friends for a long time and he's a comedian and friend to all. So uh, welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Jed. It's great to be back. Tell, can you give me kind of like a, you know, intro of, of sort of, I gave you kind of my vision <laughs> or my interpretation of, of you, but you know, wondering if you could share a little bit about um, your experience, your past, the kind of creative work you've been doing in the past and lately, just so the audience can kind of get caught up. Um, what can I say, Jed? I've, I've been working on the railroad all the live long day. No. Um, where to begin? I, as just to, to go over it as a career thing, I, we, we, we went to the same college, Ithaca College, though I didn't know you then. Um, we had met later in Boston and just to do a very bite-sized map of, of how I got here, Ithaca, I studied at, the, at a conservatory of acting at that school, uh, loved it, uh, started to love acting in theater even more, moved to New York City, uh, loved New York it and hate it. Get a rope. Every time we hear New York City, I, know. I have to do the, the jalapeno I, joke, sorry. I know. I, you know what? For real, I miss those commercials. <laughs> uh, they were damn funny. Um, yeah, and uh, did, did a lot of acting there, a lot of stage acting from from like sad little nuanced avant-garde plays to Shakespeare. Um, and I eventually ran out of money, moved, to, moved back home to Boston, tried to regroup, form a plan. Uh, formed two sketch groups, which really was where my passion was in, in creating art for that time in Boston. Um, I don't know, Boston was like six or seven years, and then uh, a lot of my friends and myself at the time persuaded me to give L.A. a try. And uh, there I was able to get my first TV commercial, uh, first music video, um, who was that with? That was with Justin Timberlake. Um, oh, yeah. As we say first, in a bit. yeah, and, and a few, a few short films and movies, and uh, I enjoyed just like New York. I, I loved it and I hated it. Um, the big reason for the the hatred was was for uh, not being a able to sustain myself financially so mm -hmm. but i worked with a lot of creative people in in all three places new york boston and and la and um again i i guess the best way to put it is i 
I kind of burned out on the on the scene in LA and that combined with money issues. So now I'm, I'm back in Boston regrouping again and, you know, uh, trying to stay creative, still writing sketches. Um, and that, and, 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 yeah. and yeah, and doing, and doing work with various friends. I don't, I don't have a, a brand other than right now. Like I don't have a, a sketch team that I regularly work with, but, uh, I do, I do, you know, kind of freelance projects with like Brian Agosta, who's, who's created a late night variety show called What a Night. And, um, yeah. So great. That's, I was just, yeah, like I said, is, uh, you know, I really just wanted to make sure that I was representing kind of your, uh, you know, your elevator pitch in the way that you want it to be represented. It's interesting you should say all that because I just know so many people who, uh, kind of their expectations for how things are supposed to go when it comes to creative endeavors, they don't always meet them. And the first problem to that is that I feel like a lot of times the expectations that people have, not because they're like have bad expectations from their themselves, is that like the world kind of tells them these things that aren't necessarily true, whether it's social media, people acting like their lives are better, or them reading stories about, hey, a guy was walking down the street. And like almost when I worked at the Tonight Show or when I worked at NBC Late Night, the stories of actors who were like, oh, I bumped into this casting director. And you hear the real story and that they didn't bump into them on the street. They had an agent. And, you know, like they, they there's this there's this image that we have that when, when actors, you know, go to L.A., the trick is just to be there, do the work and show up enough times and you'll get your break. And that simply is not how it goes. And that can be said across all different areas of, of the industry and just in life. And again, you, know, you do is listen to my other podcasts. Everybody... I know is doing all this great stuff, but they feel like they aren't because their expectations are different than what the reality is. But to me, like they're doing, they're doing killer stuff. So the reason why I mention all that is to say, you know, from your perspective, you know, whether it was positive or negative, was there an expectation that you had going into LA or going to New York? Um, and did that expectation change as you went along? Hmm. I had I had a, a really strong passion at the beginning. It wasn't like though I was goal oriented, I said like, oh I want to do this kind of a play, I want to do I want to do a, try commercials, voiceovers. I, I was interested in creating art mainly as an actor. It just, but what I've discovered is that the flame, the flame of passion for your work can die out. It can die out. It can always be reignited, but it still can easily die out. And whether whether you whatever art whatever kind of art you do and if you want to that to be your main source of income you have to really love it and you have to really want it yeah i mean then because then you'll find a way you'll find a way to keep doing your art 
while yeah. doing some kind of day job. Yeah, and I, I was, I, was I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say that I, I know what you're talking about because, like, I remember, you know, when I went back to LA after time, time away from it, I was like, you know, I just want to spend one more stint on. I used to work for a TV show called ER on the Warner Brothers lot, and I just, you know, there's a magical vibe that I had to it, even though it's just like a, it's just a place of business, right? But to me, it was kind of, it was kind of magical. So I just wanted like one last hurrah, and I went there for a show um and like it's a reality show and i was just you know helping out in production uh filling in for somebody who was like you know had another gig or something but um i was able to be on set and to, to walk around the studios and visit my old haunts and, and, and along the lot and and i visited friends on the lot so it wasn't like i hadn't been there but in, the, in, in that amount of time or in a long amount of time but the bottom line is that i was on this person like yeah you know what? like i don't want to do this like it was it wasn't it was like right. a really nice reminder, or not reminder, like it's a really nice realization that I'm really happy doing things the way that I want to do them, my art, the way that I want to do it. And whether that makes money or not, or it gets attention or not, like I'm willing to, to sacrifice kind of money and attention if yes. I get to do what I want to do. And That's I do not want to, like what I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to like facilitate someone else's dream at like a low rate with no job security and struggling to do the things that I really want to do. And, right. you know, and I think that's the thing is that I was trying to drive at is that like, like if you expect to go to LA and people are gonna be like, you know, that it's gonna be this different place than it is in Boston, New York. Well, really all that it is is that it's, you know, a different temperature, but like the, the challenges and the, and the type of work you do and the type of talent you have access to, it's pretty much exactly the same. And that's kind of what I was trying to lean towards is, do you feel that like the work you were doing in New York, LA, or Boston was different? Like, could you, did you have access to better people in New York or LA or Boston or like, not better, but like, you, did you have access to people who were stronger at their craft in one city compared to another? Well, I guess New York and LA, there were definitely, they were definitely hungrier. You know, they were, they were artists who, uh, but were they, I don't want to say I, I don't want to say work more, but I found I found they they all aimed pretty high. They all had very high goals. Where a lot of people in Boston did too, but there were a handful of it who kind of treated it as a hobby and bowling and stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, that, so that's that's the thing that I'm trying that I, that's what I'm trying to get to is that my experience of LA is in a bunch of different worlds, and in some worlds. Uh, you know, you are a person who is doing the exact same work that you would in Boston or Sheboygan or Missouri or whatever, but you feel that you are onto something. But unless well, there's, there's also there's also an energy. Yeah. In in different cities, there's a there's a energy you can feel. Just um, even when you're alone, just walking down, it's it's the environment that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah, I used to be. I used to have stars in my eyes about New York and LA and like, oh, it's shimmery and magical. And then, you know, like anything, when I finally in it and you're close to it, it's just like, this is just another place where people can live and work. Let me tell you the, the two best pieces of advice I ever got. Okay. One is related to what I said earlier. Um, a guy who, this is, this is from, okay, the first, I'll start over. Let me tell you 
the best two pieces of advice about acting I ever received. The first was from someone who is making a steady income and raising a family only on acting. He said, you have to be obsessed. And by that, I think he meant you have to consistently audition and stay in the boat. Because, yeah, you might just be doing commercials here and there and never really progress. But if you stick around, maybe you, you never know. Second piece of advice was from another fellow New York City bohemian artist. And he told it to me right before I moved to New York, and it never really sunk in until I went back to Boston. And what he said was, figure out, figure out exactly what you love about art and exactly what you want from that art and chase that at all costs. That, that, that speaks to me, that speaks to me in terms of, there are so many people who just blindly audition and they never give other avenues of art a chance. Like they never tried stand up. They never produced their own play when maybe that might make them happier. Like for New York, I was burned out on just doing plays. And when I got back to Boston and formed those two sketch comedy groups, I felt more fulfilled. So the yeah. more I thought about what exactly do I want and the happier I was. Yeah, now, in terms of, of <laughs> money, in terms of money, money is the thing, right? That, that tells you, do I, do I work the two day jobs I need to pay rent or do figure something or do I figure something else out? You know, I, I watched a, a little video of uh, Mark Duplass talking to people at South by Southwest and he said, Learn Spanish, learn Mandarin, because you can, you can be paid like $20 an hour to teach English. And so what he was saying, like maximize the money you make while you're not making money from acting so you can audition more or you can create more. I guess what I'm saying is I need a Ryan Gosling to drive outside my house and beep his horn and say you're being a baby. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so that's everybody. Like, that's the thing. The, the thing about so what you described. Let me just be real quick. Is is like okay. an allegory for what most people do, right? Like they they don't put a name to their pain, and they believe in the like they don't see the struggle. They only see the reward, and they believe the hype. That the way that you become happy is that you become famous, and because you're famous, you make money. Right. Right. So I think that advice and that what you just said is like spot on that you have to be honest with yourself about what makes you happy, why it makes you happy and, you know, what you're willing to do to get it. And so my question to you is, you know, from the, uh, you know, let's just pick it New York, Boston and L.A. What are the favorite things that you have about those cities when it comes to um performing like what things there made you happy as opposed to what things did you think were going to make you happy 
Oh, that's a good question. I, I think, well, I, I knew that there would be moments on stage where I'd be very happy. And those were the best. Those were so fun. Just, just when you've, you're really doing a play and you can feel that the audience is listening and they're having a good time. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how boring it would be to be on a set. Um, as I focused on acting, you know, I didn't, I was naive as to how much work it takes to keep, keep a set running and how much downtime there is when, when you're an actor on set. Yeah. So, so then how does that relate to like your happiest moments in Boston or LA? I'm sorry, Boston, Boston. or New York? No, Boston was the same, like getting a specific laugh when I'm on stage at Improv Boston with, with Sawyer and Hurley or friends of Gertrude when the laugh hits just right. And then, you know, the revelry, the having fun at the bar next door afterwards, uh, celebrating a good show. That was, that was the best. That's, those are the moments I lived for. Gotcha. And LA, I, I mean, there's the highs of, of booking some of those gigs, the, uh, the Xfinity commercial, the Timberlake video, the Superstore sitcom. And then, yeah, and then being on that set at, at, at Universal Studios, it was like the stars were put back in my eyes and I was, I was acting on screen and talking to a childhood hero, Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall. Those, those are incredible. Um, so what would you say to somebody who is, um, you can answer this either as like practical, like this is like how to make it work or, you know, kind of abstract of like what kind of mindset you have to have and what to expect. But what'd you say to somebody who is in Boston or some other city other than LA or New York and are kind of used to their environment or, you know, aren't used to the, you know, the fast paced world of LA and New York. Uh, sure. What advice would you give? I would, I would repeat the advice I, that I had heard that I told you. One, you have to be obsessed. And two, figure out exactly what you want out of it. And if it's what you want to do all the time, just, just know that there's a possibility, like you and I said, there's a possibility that you're going to grow impatient and jaded with 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 both the art and the sacrifices you have to make to do the art like there there was no way when i lived in new york city that i was going to stay <laughs> working getting up at 5am for to work at starbucks going home uh, rehearsing lines then going to work at the jekyll and hyde club at night it's in a, in a way it's like no wonder i burned out that schedule is impossible. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say is like that. That's what I was trying to illustrate earlier is that it's absolutely a impossible schedule. And the answer is like, oh, you just got to want it. Like my answer is like, well, no, like you should have, you should, you should have a balanced life. Like it doesn't mean that you don't, you know, that, you know, that people shouldn't be having two jobs if it's their lifestyle or because they need that to survive or whatever. But fundamentally, that's not a good way to be where you're working 24 seven. Like that's, that's just what we, we accept those terms. And I just don't think I don't accept them for myself. Yeah, but th there are extraordinary people who, 
who can do that. They work, some work a full-time job and then they go to an acting class in Hollywood from like 7 p.m. to, to sometimes one in the morning. I, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger used to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jed, as I reached the age of 40, I would rather eat my own hat than do that. <laughs> Honestly, and it's, and it's sad in a way. Yes, I, I grew too impatient. I, I grew too jaded. And 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 I think that the, the lifestyle, the lifestyle itself made me even start to resent the art itself. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying that's what, what that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but do you know so what I, I mean? I do what you mean. So this is my point is is that you're illustrating my point. And I'm not I'm not explaining it correctly, but what I'm saying is is that your reaction to like not being okay with like an insane situation makes you feel bad because like we've told like that's the grind. And like I, I my my best example is I I used to work over full time at a at a full time job like you know more than nine to five. I commuted right. from the suburbs to Boston. I was starting a my own film festival for like on on during lunch and you know at night. And then yeah. I had to do another three hours. I'm not done. I did another three hours of work every night for this startup that I was getting a little bit of money paid to do. And so basically, and then I was also trying to stay healthy and I was working out, right? So like that's an untenable situation. And the reason why I did it is that one is uh I had this belief that it was going to lead to something, right? And I think that's where the jadedness comes from. It's not like, it's not like you're jaded like abstractly. You're jaded because, or we, I'm jaded or whatever. Like you, when you work and work and work, you don't get the thing that you're looking for. There's no point in doing it anymore. It's just simple math. And the second part is that it's not that like you get jaded because you get fed up. It's because you learn, you grow, you've done that before. Like I don't, I'm not in a position in my life where I, if I had something that was like in my in my soul i have to get done i would find a way to get it done and i would you know kill myself doing it but even that is not good because basically what you're saying like nobody is able to sustain that nobody is able no matter yeah. you know if you're just not able to sustain that level of commitment right um, and a lot of people at the beginning in their 20s think they can they said they have this kind of bipolar mental disorder um or what, whatever kind of disorder where you say i can do anything I'm going to take off yeah. like a rocket and you don't well, think you need to to recharge your batteries and and change up your strategy once in a while right um, right but even then it's because they the world tells you that that's the norm and and so the thing that i'm i'm, I'm again i'm i'm trying to I'm, tr I'm trying to like close this part of it i don't want to stop you from talking about it but like the the i'm, co I'm considering that to be a like a standard that we believe that killing yourself you know for hours on end for something that may or may not happen only works if you're totally passionate about yeah. the work that you're doing. And so for me, I'm, I'm at the point where like, I don't mind taking a risk or two, but if I don't love the thing that I'm doing, then like, um, you know, that does come to work. Like I have to do work sometimes I don't want to do, but I mean, like when it comes to side projects, I only do right. the work that I really, you know, I'm a huge yes to. So that's what I'm trying to ask you about is, so the, the thing I was trying to get to, and it didn't really work was like, I was trying to say, and it was my belief that whether you're working in, Boston, LA, or New York, the talent almost always is, in my experience, the same. The difference is that when you're in LA or New York and either you're young or new to the game, you have a belief that drives you or a time, you know, a ticking clock 
that makes you think that you're going to either try and fail and like call it a day and be like, well, I tried, or that you have a like a raging belief that you're destined for it. But once you kind of played that out, you're basically left with the reality that it's a massive business, just like Costco or like going to the dentist. It's not like this magical land where like, you know, you follow your dreams and like, you know, and, and it happens, it's this grind. And so my only point is, I was trying to drive at is one, is that whether you're, whether, if you're a performer, if you're in LA, Boston, and New York, your chances of working with talented people is probably equal when you're starting out. And it's only until you get to the top, if you do, that you kind of are able to sort of like see the difference in the performers. So that leaves me with like, in your mind, like, is it worth it to go to, to take the leap in the first place to LA or New York? And if so, under what circumstances would you recommend people do it? You have to be rich. I'm sorry. You just, yeah. I would never, I would never live in either of those places again if, if I didn't have like a, an amazing stream of income because it costs more than you think. And when you, when you come up with a number, it even costs more than that. Yeah. To live, to live, to live healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the thing is that like healthy is the key word. And so the, so let's go to this. So again, my assertion is that one is like, if I'm writing a script right now and you know, I'm doing a documentary right now and I'm doing this podcast right now. And my belief is, is that they would be just as good or just as bad or just as whatever they are, whether I'm living in LA, Boston or New York. But when you're in LA, you kind of feel that you have this chance that if you right. you might just bump into somebody or this happens, and that never has happened to me. Like the people that I know are almost always through Ithaca College, through my, you know, knowing people for 20 years in the business and you know, sort of accumulating friends from over time. But it's not like I walk down the street and I'm like, oh, like you're a director and I'm a producer. Let's make a movie. Right. Like, so the when it comes to your passion, like it sounds to me like you're firmly in the in the in the camp of that if you want to perform, you know, whether you're performing LA or Boston, you can be do good work and you know, find good performers in any of the places. Is that correct? True. True. I'd say, and it depends on your goal and yeah. Well, so then let's talk about this. What art are you excited about making? I know you mentioned you mentioned Brian's work and, and I think you did something yeah. with uh, 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 Richard, but tell me a little bit about what you're working on or what you've recently worked on. Yeah, that's again, Brian is someone I met at Improv Boston and he's an, he's an old friend. He's a, he's a real good guy. And he asked me if I wanted to work on some sketches with him. And like my first instinct was like, um, now I'm, I'm home and I'm trying to build my life here and, and make money <laughs> and you don't make money doing sketch. So I tried to think with my financial cap on, but, um, but then I looked at, like you said, like what, what's, what is this going to cost me? You know, how much time is this going to cost me? And it's something I like doing. So, so I guess I, I jumped in and said, yeah, I'll do this. Cause it's fun. It's, it's to me, I, I used to treat it as a, like a job. I used to 
you know, in LA, I would contact all these different comedy theaters. I would pound the pavement, but here it's, it's more like bowling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's free. It's freeing in a way. It's just, I'm doing it for fun. That's it. I don't yeah. care how many views it gets on YouTube. It's yeah. So that's why I, I did that. And then, uh, yeah, I'm working on maybe a new voice, voice acting reel. Cause there are, there are a lot of places in Boston that cast, uh, for, for commercial voiceover work. Um, that's awesome. Uh, is, there anything, anything, is there anything that either A, you're excited about, or B, that kind of maybe has been on the back burner, but like you're saying to yourself, well, by the end of, you know, obviously we're in the pandemic or whatever, but that in the near future yeah. you'd like to work on? Like, you know, is right, there anything? Right. You know, I, I had thought that I wanted to do a podcast, <laughs> but I don't. Um, I did a couple test episodes and it's more work than fun. So to me, yeah. <laughs> are you having fun now? Or is this like, you know, I don't want to keep you on. <laughs> no, I am. I'm, I'm having fun being the, the subject. I, I just, yeah. I don't want to be the, the brand podcast yeah, owner and, and host. I, I, I don't, I, I don't have any interest in that. turns out. But I mean, I think that's the key is to is to figure out uh, and to be again the, the hard part. We talked about this I, I, again. I've not I was not able to distill it to the way that I'd like to distill it. But the first part is to like you know remove the shackles of expectation that the world tells you is based on nothing. Right, just, right. And, and you, like, you just that, hit, you hit on something. You, you hit on something so so true there. Uh, before I forget, um, as soon as you say. Like, as soon as I decided I'm going to be an actor, like, I'm going to devote my life to it. Like, back when I made that decision, I had no freaking idea, like, what what it was going to take. Like, I just said, like, yeah, what, why the heck not? I'll just wait tables to make money, and, and I'll always be passionate about this. But it's it's almost, it's like, but then once you get on that track, once I was in New York and L.A., I was, you know, you, you start to be a little bit disillusioned. Yeah, and, and I and I, I guess and it, even... it, wait, it's it's and it's like it's I, I find it equivalent to like the way people approach relationships, marriage, and kids. Like I, I gotta find a wife, I gotta find I gotta find a husband by this by this time, the clock is ticking. Like, and then you start to set set goals, some realistic, some not, but it can drive you nuts. Yeah, there's a there's an Alan Watts thing we talked about on one of my previous podcasts, but it's you know, he talks about how it's like, you know, the second you're born, it's like oh, you gotta go from preschool to kindergarten, kindergarten mm-hmm. first, and then you gotta find a yeah. job. Da, da, da. But like, so the you know, to your point, like, there's this there's these expectations of what you think it is. There's this uh, you know societal pressures of like this is what you're supposed to do. But you know, to your point, like, you you're basing decisions on, on a things that you've never experienced. So how could right. you possibly know what you like? And B, right. even if you didn't, even if you loved it, like you, you never kind of account for people changing and growing and learning and, you know, adjusting their position on things. But the other part of it is that like, they don't acknowledge like the reason why they're doing it. Right. Like my assertion is that like most people become filmmakers, you know, because they want to prove to everyone in high school, they weren't such a dork. Like it's their way, yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. you know, and I, I just, I just don't think that, and I, that's, that's like, that's like, if you're trying to, first of all, if you're trying to prove people in high school that you're not the dork, like doing anything is not going to, you know, nothing is going yeah. to change their perception other than you not caring what they think. 
And, I'll, you know, I'll say it again. You, you figure out exactly what you love about the art and you chase that at all costs. Yes, yeah. I, uh, I would agree. So then, so then, oh, and I, yeah. I found, I figured out an answer to another earlier question. Dressing up as Doc Brown and winning money on Let's Make a Deal with, with uh, Wayne Brady, that was that was that was a pretty awesome highlight. <laughs> so was that on the show or is that just like, you know, tooling around Hollywood? No, that was, uh, you know, casting directors. They tried to find, you know, funny artistic types for the studio audience for Let's Make for, a uh, Deal. For Let's Make a Deal. And, no, yeah, and then Wayne called me down and I played the game and I actually ended up winning some money. So it was like, it was like a two birds, one stone, a, a life moment that was like exciting. And, and I, I, I made a little bit of bread. What do you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and so, so, so that's my, that sums up, or at least it illustrates the point that I'm making is one is we have all of these expectations that are based on like dreams we had when we were 18 and right. two, like, you know, it, it's um, people just have these expectations that if you have a million views on YouTube, then you must be rich. Or right. if I get a million views or 10 million or whatever the number is like cool now, like then if you have those numbers, you either be rich or you'll feel better about yourself and you have more attention. Really, what's annoying about social media is that if you do have those views, you probably have more negative influences on your wall than positive. Yeah. But like we don't think that through. And then the next part yeah. again is to is to understand and to not beat yourself up. Like your description of your experience in LA is everybody's story. Yeah. Like there are there are some people whose next part chapter of their story is and then I got rich and famous. That's like like point oh 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 one percent. Yeah, yeah. On that, that is a great point because the the way I think it was my dad who described it, and it was such a good. It's it's an image of like show business and making money at show business as an actor it's like trying to climb inside the tiniest window and it's a million billion people trying to climb in that tiny window at the same time so like it's like almost almost physically impossible <laughs> yeah and so i'll add to that is that there's this thing that also happens when you're not famous or when you're not around famous people for an extended period of time, you only have the scope that you have. So you think that if you're famous, like you get, you know, your Orson Welles Muppets, you know, rich and famous contract and that that's right. it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like this idea that you get your degree in college and then you have a job and you're set for life. We all know that isn't true. And when you become like, honestly, if I made a list of all the massively famous people who are on the late night show that I worked on in, you know, the year 2000, 2001, half of them are going to be around still. Half of them would, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Or little than half of them, like a, a small amount would be like, oh, I remember that person. And then vast majority of them, you would have no idea who they are. And the the the, yeah. the perspective is lost because like you don't understand how incredibly of the moment and famous they yeah. were in 1999, 2000. And so not only is it hard to get through that window, that a million people are flying through. Once you're through, that's just the beginning. It's like you know the video game where you think you you know you've just you know you've found like the mastermind, and then out of so out of nowhere, this giant monster you know crashes through the yeah. crashes through the wall, and there've been even new set of things. And like the amount of people who become massively famous who then fade away, we always mark it off with like oh they screwed that one up. And really, it's just that like everybody it's, it's, uh, is the flavor it, of the month. It's so, like Les, it's like Les Grossman said, it's just physics. <laughs> Speedman's a, he's a white dwarf. He's a falling star. 
<laughs> that's gross, man. But yeah, so and, I, yeah. and, I, and that's the thing is that like the thing that messes with people is their expectations. And, yes. you know, and so what I'm asking now is so I guess the thing that to sum up, we're saying that, you know, in L.A., it's tough. You need money. You need money kind of everywhere that the kind of work you can do is probably similar in Boston and L.A. And while there is a lot of work, sustainability wise, I'm not sure that's really true. I think that there are some people who can make it work, but there's a lot of work going on. But to scrape together a living, you know, based on your your looks or talent is such an arbitrary thing yeah. that it's really hard to maintain. And even oh, yeah. if you're like in production, like, I, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. Like if your job is a grip, then, you know, your job is to carry lumber around basically, like, you know, or metal, big pieces of metal back and forth. And, you, you, you know, if you're in your 50s or 60s, get up at six o'clock in the morning and do that, like, yeah. you may not want to do that. You may like it. Some people do, and a lot, and a lot of groups do, but fundamentally, yeah. It's not necessarily the best job for somebody who is, you know, 50 or 60, waking up at four o'clock in the morning and working 18 hours a day for, with, you know, for no, uh, you know, kind of sustainable, um, what's the word, um, regular pay, right? Like, so it, it, you know, not to put a negative damper on it, but it's just no, no, I don't think it's negative. I'm, I will say that I would like to stay healthy. I'd like to stay alive, but uh, art. I used to treat it like my life's legacy, and I used to treat it like a marathon. Now, I'm treating it like bowling. Although some people take, although some people take bowling very seriously, so maybe that's not the best analogy. But I'm treating it as a, a fun thing that, if an idea hits me, I'll write it. If someone asks me to to be in a play or a sketch, eh, I'll see if I want to. I'll see, if, but I'm not going to break my back and like I used to. That's it. Yeah. But I think that's, and I think we internalize and say, well, we're not as passionate. It's not like, it's that the thing that you were passionate about is different, right? So if you're, I wanted it to, I wanted it to be my main source of income and I do not see that happening. But, but what I'm saying is, is that, is that say, you know, if you're making, if you say your goal is I want to make a million dollars, and you make a million dollars and you get there and you're like, well, I don't really care about a million dollars. And that's you being jaded and you you're realizing, you know, like it's you didn't have that passion there for whatever. But if you get a million dollars and realize that a million dollars isn't at all the thing that you thought it was, then that's not losing your passion. That's you adjusting your position on how you feel about the thing. It's like when you meet somebody new, right? Like fame yeah. or fortune, meeting somebody new. The first time you see them, they're like, oh, like you presume that they're nice and you make up a story how amazing they are and then you meet them and maybe along the line you realize that they have positions or beliefs or ways about them that changes your position but we, we, yeah. we, what we do is we sit there and we say i've i've decided this person is going to be great and i'm going to try to get them to be my friend and once i you get them i need to be happy with that except for all you know like they're terrible people and that's right. like that's the same like you you it's not that people get jaded that's what i'm trying to say is that people put that on themselves and it's not is that they think that things are different than they actually are. So when they get it, they don't sit there and say, oh, wow, man, things are different than they actually, I thought they were. So I need to adjust my framework and my thinking. They think, man, this is harder than I thought. And therefore I must be weak or jaded or not as passionate. Because I, if I agree with all that. That is a good perspective. Yeah, well, good. It's a more, it's a more positive spin on the, my, my burnout philosophy. And I, I, just talking to you for this, this podcast, you know, I, I can look at it in a different frame, a different light. It's, it's all a good thing.
Well, excellent. I mean, is there is there anything else you want to talk about or plug or cover? Um, no. Well, um, my my website is still dennis-hurley.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. It's at it's dendo i t s d e n d o, and uh, that's you know, if I feel like I want to be creative, you might see some stuff up there. Well, all right then. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, for uh, you know coming back two years prior, two years after the the big uh, you know episode number one of uh, that's what I'm talking about. Or absolutely, I I, I I miss uh, seeing you in person. Me too. I mean, I I'm yeah. I'm fully quarantined. I'm fully quarantined. I um, and I, you know maybe we should just I'm not going to talk about this too long, but like for me, yeah. there's I mean I, I'm just not. I'll probably just erase this later, but there is not a lot of um, the risk reward just isn't there for me. So yeah, uh, I, yes, I agree. I, 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 I miss seeing you in person as well. You know, yeah. my hope is, is that by the end of this year, we'll be back to some quote unquote normalcy. I'm sure we'll, you know, things aren't going to be the same as they were before, but I think uh-huh. my hope is that at the end of this year, we'll have some, um, you know, some better hope that, you know, you can walk outside, you know, we probably still have to have a mask, but like you can walk outside and not live in, fear of perhaps catching something that um, could hurt you or someone else. So that's my, that's, that's my right. hope for this new year. Cheers uh, to well, that. You, yes. Cheers to that. Uh, well, once again, thank you yep. so much for joining, joining us for uh, this episode. That's always yep. great talking to you. Um, and yeah, so hopefully we'll have you on later on when you have uh, either something new to promote or that, uh, you know, we're in person and we, we have the first in person we've done in about two or three years. So, Thanks again right. for having having um, you know being on the on the podcast and uh, yeah anything else? Um, no, nope. it's my pleasure, Jed. Thank you. And see. And see. Stop.